Tedakoto te fano, o Aotearoi Unitarians. Tedakoto na manahiri, no mai, hairmai. Kitene hui topa ate atua. Tedakoto te natato katoa. We come in a variety of colors, shapes, and sizes. Some of us grow in bunches, some of us grow alone, some of us are cupped inward, and some of us spread ourselves out wide. Some of us are old and dried and tougher than we appear. Some of us are still in bud. Some of us grow low to the ground and some of us stretch toward the sun. Some of us feel like weeds. Sometimes. Some of us carry seeds. Sometimes. Some of us are prickly. Sometimes. Some of us smell, and all of us are beautiful. What a bouquet of beautiful people we are. My opening words are a prayer for unfinished business by Kelly Weissman Aspruth Jackson. Dear great lathe of heaven, O foundry of souls, you churning, burning cosmos, which has wrought me on the infinite loom of your celestial body. Spitting stars and indifferent stones, hear my prayer. Do not curse me to perish with all my dreams fulfilled. Do not afflict me with a vision so narrow and a heart so small that all my greatest hopes could be accomplished within a single lifetime. Rather bless me with an unquiet spirit, anoint me with impertinent oils, grant me dreams so great and numerous that I might spend the fullness of my days to realize them and have ample, ample remaining to leave to my inheritors. Holy gyre that bore me and must one day take me home. Allow me the mercy to depart this life with unfinished business. And if you have a candle or a chalice, it's time to light it. We light this chalice today to illuminate our way toward love. Inside the womb of this waiting time, we are bathed in sounds, floating in love, growing out of our comfort zone. We experience love, sorrow, pain, and joy. There is a numinous quickening as we await a new world yet unborn. 
My reading is by Roddy Biggs, and then it's entitled My Dreams, They Matter. Though at times I may forget who I am or who I'm becoming, my dreams, they matter. When I make space for all that is, when I move away from that which no longer serves me, when I make space for the new possibilities and the circumstances, my dreams do matter. They matter. They hold many truths and many turning points. They matter, though at times I may convince myself they don't. They do. For they call me back in time and forward still. My dreams matter. They matter as they pull me inward and yet simultaneously push me outside of myself. My dreams matter. They matter as they speak to the breath of love, of pain, of hope that rests deep in the fabric of my blood and bones. My dreams matter as they are connected to the dreams of my ancestors, connected to all who have graced this earth before, who grace it here and now and will be connected to all who grace this earth when I, when we, grace this place no more. My dreams, they matter. Your dreams, they matter. Our dreams, they matter. They matter. I've called my random musings this morning unconstrained imagination. I would like to give you a peek behind the curtain to see one of the blessings or possibly curses of being in my line of work. If you have been doing it as long as I have, it is nearly impossible not to see the world continuously through theological lenses. It's not a conscious decision anymore. It's just my reality and as involuntary as breathing. Nothing I'm doing is exempt from theological reflection. It doesn't matter if I'm reading my Facebook feed, binging on Netflix, hearing music in many genres, holding Rachel's hand, playing peekaboo with a grandchild, eating a Macca burger, playing fetch with Waldo, or walking on the beach after a storm. You get my gist. Bloody everything reverberates with theological discernment for me. Everything. It can be exhausting as it feeds my imagination to overflowing. As of yet, I have found, I have not found a place where I can escape. I never pack my lenses when I go on holiday, but they mysteriously await me in my new surroundings upon my arrival. 
our recent visit to the Australian Outback. I thought there was no way they could find me in the middle of nowhere. Frog. I spent nine days drowning in theological detritus. It was everywhere. To bring home how entrapped I am in my theological worldview, our daughter and grandchildren took us to a 200-kilometer sculpture trail that inspired this musing. Yes, you heard right, 200 kilometers. It was two hours further into nowhere than the middle in which we were staying. Our family lives in Alpha, Queensland, population 550. But from what I could discern, there was no omega, just kangaroos, termite hills, gum trees, a wide variety of noisy birds, and of course, flies. The world's longest sculpture trail is the creation of Melinda Rogers, nicknamed Scrap Metal Sheila. She has lined the trail with 41 of her works at last count, all made of scrap metal, most often bound together with the ubiquitous barbed wire found in the outback. When asked why she sculpts with steel, she said, I connect steel with the typical Aussie woman. It's tough and hard to bend, but it can also adapt to be shaped into something amazing. It is versatile and it ages gracefully in dry climates. So are Aussie Sheila's. Words cannot adequately describe her works but I want to show you a brief slideshow of some of her sculptures. The last slide is not one of her works, but fellow trap travelers we met along the trail. Besides being unexpected, I was intrigued by her art's capacity to connect. Her often whimsical work touched my desire to play to be more than what I do, recycling materials that will exist long after we do, invites me to remember that all of me is beautiful and eternal, no matter how rusted, technologically useless, prickly, isolated, or seemingly worthless. Their being interspersed casually in the environment raised my consciousness of how we all are part of an interconnected web and challenged me to care for the rest of what often seems hopelessly tangled. It welded me to the region's history, grounding my present to consider a future my forebears could not foresee. Lastly, it ignited my imagination, freeing an essential ingredient for being fully human and surviving our world in crisis. It isn't easy to do art 
in the middle of an apocalypse, but she manages to do so. The theological lenses I viewed her art through are trifocals. One third is celebratory or poetic theology that seeks to entice us to envision what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven, a place here and now. It weaves words, themes, and images in and out of one another to evoke the fullness of that vision. It finds expression in the arts, hymns, poetry, iconography, and the like. The second third concerns communication. It focuses on reasoned arguments and justifications of our commitments, both practical and intellectual, while seeking new ways to express them. It evaluates other perspectives to determine if they support, enhance, or undermine those commitments. The third sharpens the critical eye. It is sometimes called scientific theology. It interrogates our presuppositions, norms, and languages. At its best, it's the most stringently self-reflective eliminating lazy or complacent thought and action, purifying its discourse. Each lens has its limitations, but together they are self-correcting. For instance, critical questioning validates Paul's celebration of righteousness, peace, and joy as marks of the kingdom of heaven. The justice Amos calls for that rolls down like waters communicates commitment to the kind of world we would like to live in. The peace that passes all understanding that Paul offers Philemon in return for freeing one of his slaves and the inexpressible and glorious joy John assures us will be ours that Peter says no one can take away are instances of scientific theology, dissipating the limitations of the other two and enhancing the clarity of our vision. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so what does this have to do with the arts and imagination? A reasonable question. Consider the times in which we live natural disasters, the global pandemic, nationalism, and widespread political demagoguery are among the highlights of the blood-dimmed tide Yeats refers to in his poem, The Second Coming, that slouches not just toward Bethlehem, but everywhere. None of these are new threats, of course, although the first, at least, are now occurring at frequency, at a frequency and magnitude once unimaginable. Despite recent calls to read the world through less uh, apocalyptic lenses, many, particularly those in the world's poor, working, 
and burgeoning middle classes are living with a growing recognition of the gnawing disease, the erosion of old certainties, and the despoliation of hope. Many live too with growing desires for the re-enchantment of the places we find ourselves, places disenchanted and deanimated by modernity, and in many parts of the world oppressed by the ugly three-headed dog Cerberus, guarding the hell of colonialism, globalism, and neoliberal capitalism. It is a difficult time. It is a time for undertaking responsible work. It is time to imagine that things might be otherwise. We, Im we imagine or we perish. Clearly, imagination matters. Philosopher and social critic Santiago Zabala argues that art can save us from the greater demons of our nature. Art, he suggests, has the capacity to save us from such nightmares precisely by attending to the work of disrupting the status quo. While important, neither are the arts a break on our most demonic instincts nor a messianic fix. They can be complicit in our depravity. The Nazis loved Wagner. Paintings by Miro and Pollock sell for hundreds of millions in the same cities where people, including artists, die of starvation. Yet still, imagination and its artistic fruits always matter. It is imagination that shapes and enables, or enfeebles, our distinctly human capacity at every point, whether for good or for ill. In a period of crisis in particular, therefore, imagination matters because its destructive potential notwithstanding, in it lies our only hope, humanly speaking, at least. We should not deplete its remarkable power to form, reform, and transform our shared reality. We should welcome the arts and celebrate communicate our commitment to creating a better world and be aware of all, including ourselves, that get in the way of offering peace and joy. Writing in April 2020 and within a week of India's first COVID-related lockdown, the Indian novelist, Arundhati Roy asked, what is this thing that has happened to us? Is it a virus? Yes, but it's definitely more than a virus. Whatever it is, 
COVID has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could. Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. <coughs> Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcass of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks, and bad dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. My closing words this week are a little different. I want to read a poem by W.H. Auden celebrating the life of W.B. Yeats, William Butler Yeats. Odd was admired for his unsurpassed technical virtuosity and ability to write poems in nearly every imaginable verse form. His incorporation of popular culture, current events, and vernacular speech in his work and also for the vast range of his intellect, which drew easily from an extraordinary variety of literatures, art forms, social and political theories, and scientific and technological information. And he was a friend and admirer of William Butler Yeats, widely considered one of the greatest poets of the English language, who received the Nobel Prize in 1923 for literature. His work was greatly influenced by the heritage and politics of Ireland. In his poem, Auden suggests that among the Yeats, among the gifts Yeats offered from ranches of isolation and busy griefs, is a predisposition to bear witness to how things are with the world. Such an inclination involves a commitment to attend to those largely untampered with and untampered with and untraversed spaces of our world about what is present but underexposed or disregarded. It may even unhit involve leading with unconstraining voice the responsibility 
the way toward healing and toward a renewed sense of enchantment, freedom, responsibility, and praise beyond the pedestrian and clamorous. I think he had a set of my trifocal lenses, but it cannot begin there and it ought not set out with such a course already in mind. In memory of W.B. Yeats, he disappeared in the dead of winter. The brooks were frozen, the airports almost deserted, and snow disfigured the public statues. The mercury sank in the mouth of the dying day. What instruments we have agree, the day of his death was a dark, cold day. Far from his illness, the wolves ran on through the evergreen forests. The peasant river was untempted by the fashionable keys. By morning tongues, the death of the poet was kept from his poems. But for him, it was his last afternoon as himself, an afternoon of nurses and rumors. The provinces of his body revolted. The squares of his mind were empty. Silence invaded the suburbs. The current of his feeling failed. He became his admirers. Now he is scattered among a hundred cities and wholly given over to unfamiliar affections to find his happiness in another kind of wood and be punished under a foreign code of conscience. The words of a dead man are modified in the guts of the living. But in the importance and noise of tomorrow, when the brokers are roaring like beasts on the floor of the bourse, and the poor have the sufferings to which they are fairly accustomed, and each in the cell of himself is almost convinced of his freedom, a few thousand will think of this day. As one thinks of a day when one did something slightly unusual. What instruments we have agree. The day of his death was a dark, cold day. You were silly like us. Your gifts survived it all. The parish of rich women, physical decay, yourself. Mad Ireland hurt you into poetry. Now Ireland has her madness and her weather still, for poetry makes nothing happen. It survives in the valley of its making where executives would never want to tamper, flows on south from ranches of isolation and the busy grease, raw towns that we believe a diet. It survives a way of happening, a mouth. Earth receive an honored guest, 
William Yeats is laid to rest. Let the Irish vessel lie emptied of its poetry. In the nightmare and the dark, all the dogs of Europe bark, and the living nations wait, each sequestered in its hate. Intellectual disgrace stares from every human face, and the seas of pity lie locked and frozen in each eye. Follow, poet. Follow right to the bottom of the night with your unconstraining voice. Still persuade us to rejoice with the farming of a verse. Make a vineyard of the curse. Sing of human unsuccess in a rapture of distress in the deserts of the heart. Let the healing fountain start in the prison of his days. Teach the free man how to pray. And now it's time to extinguish the chalice. Another world is possible. We say it again and again. Even when the proof lies somewhere beyond the horizon, beyond our reach, beyond our imagination, this is our faith. Another world is possible. There are many routes toward liberation, towards freedom. But the abundance of options does not absolve us from the responsibility of acting. Another world is possible. We extinguish the flame in our chalice, but the fire and light goes on in you. This service has ended. Your service begins again peace and unrest. I'm, here is your question. How is your imagination helping you to cope with a world in crisis and to make it better? How is your imagination helping you to cope with a world in crisis and to make it better? 